we are joined now by our special guest today, Chris Stewart. Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Sherbits, as well as a Bitcoin developer for the last seven years. Chris, how are you doing today? I don't know. When, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, but when you say you've been a Bitcoin developer for seven years, it makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're good. You're you're uh, helping helping push forward, helping further expand the use cases of Bitcoin. Um, and you wrote a very fascinating article where you introduced sort of how tracks can be used on the Bitcoin blockchain to facilitate sports betting. And, you know, me being the degenerate gambler that I am, everything except for the street law contracts made sense in that sentence I said. Uh, P, what the hell is a DLC? I'm going to butcher this, but essentially my understanding of a DLC is that it is a type of smart contract that involves at its simplest three parties um, or three entities there are two individuals who are locking up funds in a multi-sig uh, smart contract on the blockchain and then they basically are relying on a third entity which is known as an oracle and basically depending on the information that the oracle who is blinded to the specifics of that agreement, that contract, uh, produce, the smart contract will, um, you probably using the wrong term here, but resolve, and those funds will be released to, uh, based on the conditions that the two parties who are entering into this smart contract uh, have previously set. So as an example, you know, Q, you and I could take opposite positions and we could say that uh, we're both gonna lock up 100,000 sats if the price of Bitcoin is at is above uh, a certain point on a specific date at a specific time, and then we could define an oracle that basically uh, was sort of broadcasting that information. And the beauty of DLCs is that, or one of the beauties of them is that um, the oracle again is blinded; it does not have any knowledge of the smart contracts that are uh, using it as a data source. It was kind of a long-winded explanation. Chris, uh, how did I fuck that up? Um, how would you more succinctly and much more eloquently describe what a discrete log contract is and why it is a novel approach? Well, I, I think you actually did a pretty decent job. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, you did a pretty decent job. It's just, you know, I, the other example I give to people that's a little uh, more concrete too is me and another Bitcoin developer and Nicholas Dorier did a a bet on the U.S. presidential election way back in 2020 when um, the, that was going on and DLCs were just kind of in their infancy of development. Uh, we did a one Bitcoin bet on whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden was going to win the election. And uh, after the election was over, after, you know, uh, waffling of whoever the president was, uh, it turns out Joe Biden won. And I was able to go and claim that one Bitcoin that was locked up in the uh, Bitcoin smart contract because the Oracle attested and said Joe Biden won the election. But uh, simply put, it's just a two of two multi-sig on the Bitcoin blockchain. I put in some money, another person puts in some money. After the bet is resolved, uh, the Oracle can unlock that money with its signature and uh, our wallets will you know, do what they're supposed to do. It's a little bit different than what you see on other blockchains. Uh, usually uh, other blockchains have the Oracles actually in the smart contract, 
uh, with Bitcoin development, we always try and keep things off chain whenever we can, which gives us two benefits. Uh, number one, privacy, as you kind of were alluding to in your explanation, uh, the Oracle doesn't get directly contacted to settle this bet. And then also scalability. Whenever you're doing something on a blockchain, you should think slow and uh, very public is what's happening if, if things are happening on a blockchain. And DLCs are designed to do as much off-chain as possible, which allows us to eventually you know, scale up uh, DLCs to layer two networks, which we have on our roadmap. I want to just dive into that a little bit more. As you said, a lot of other systems, they embed the Oracle. What's the right way of saying that? You're putting the... You're, you're putting you're putting the real world information that the Oracle is attesting to into the actual blockchain itself, rather than uh, with DLCs, you know, we just have a website that we host the Oracle information, oracle.sheredbits.com. If you go to that website right now, you'll go see a bunch of lists of Oracles um, just stored in a database that we at Sheredbits run. And anyone can go get the uh, cryptographic information needed to create DLCs or settle their DLCs from that website. There's no need to have a blockchain involved in this at all, except for the actual smart contracting portion of this. And that, that is different uh, than other uh, blockchain ecosystems where the Oracle actually lives on the chain itself, like people are probably familiar with Chainlink. And that, that, that's kind of like how their architecture works. Um, DLCs are, you know, very uh, cleverly designed by a guy from MIT, MIT named Taj Strija. And, uh, you know, Taj has been around the block. He, uh, you know, is a co-author on the Lightning Network paper. And he's realized from an early, uh, you know, early development period, I guess he's been a Bitcoin developer for a very long period of time and realized whatever can be done off chain should be done off chain and DLCs is kind of the incarnation of that. And we're trying to really um, keep that principle when developing this ecosystem because you know, anything that's off chain can also have a better user experience in theory and not have to deal with things like block times or fees or anything of that nature, which uh, just kind of kills a whole bunch of uh, uh, things that uh, users commonly get tripped up on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm proud to say I created one of the first oracles and by first probably the first 20 or 30 on oracle.shirtbits.com when we first started Plebnet, which we at the time called KYC Jelly. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It was announcement for who will be the king of the KYC lightning friendship graph. So I registered myself, uh, totally unbiased, of course, um, as an Oracle, and then basically uh, worked with Nadav Cohen and Ben the Carmen to basically uh, construct a smart contract where we had all these like really interesting uh, payout curves and stuff. And uh, then as the Oracle, I basically just got to say like, this is the person that won and, <laughs> and paid out. And I was really, really, as I went through that process with them, I was, I was amazed at the level, uh, the precision that you can create in these DLCs in terms of these payout schemes or the, uh, is that the right term? That, 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 that's absolutely the right term. And we can work our way backwards to, uh, you know, the sports betting stuff and maybe start with a little bit more of the uh, complex financial engineering stuff is uh, in Tadge's white paper that he published, uh, he had in mind, it's like, well, how do we do this thing where we want to build a DLC that's predicated on the BTC USD price, you know, something that uh, Bitcoiners are very interested in typically. And like, how do we um, design smart contracts that are usable today on Bitcoin without some crazy soft fork thing? 
and uh, can, can start doing some of this DeFi activity that we see on other blockchains. Actually, Taj wrote this stuff before DeFi was even a term. So just goes to show uh, how ahead of the ahead of the curve uh, Taj is on this stuff. But like I just want to jump in and say you led an incredible conversation at Bitcoin 2022 with Taj and uh, yourself and the CEO of Atomic Finance. Tony, Kai, and I think Ben Carmen was also on the panel. Yeah, yeah, about DLCs. Uh, it's a fantastic listen if anyone wants to go and check that out, talking about DLCs and kind of where we're going. So um, so, so there, there's like kind of two uh, separate use cases for DLCs. And we'll put the, you know, the kind of sports betting or uh, election betting, just kind of uh, simple enumerated bets off to the side to start. Uh, the more complex stuff is the financial engineering aspect of it, where you can design derivatives on the Bitcoin blockchain in a non-custodial fashion today uh, with DLCs. And like some use cases for this is like, you know, imagine if you're Nayib Bukele in um, El Salvador, you're not exactly popular in the global financial world just because of, you know, you're, you're now taking Bitcoin in El Salvador and it may be upset some of the existing world order. Um, how do you um, do things like, you know, hedge your Bitcoin price volatility risk without giving up custody of your funds if, uh, you know, you're worried about them being seized if you put it into a third party custodian like a Coinbase or Gemini or whatever. And this is the perfect tool for DLCs. You can say, uh, you write a contract for difference using DLCs where that will guarantee that your Bitcoin stays pegged to a specific dollar value the funds aren't put into a custodian or another exchange service. And you can now always know that your Bitcoin will be you know, worth $1 when you get it out at the end of the smart contract. And uh, there's, a, you know, same thing with Michael Saylor. Uh, imagine, you know, he's got uh, however many Bitcoin, he's got hundreds of thousands. I think at this point, you need to earn yield on your Bitcoin because your shareholders want you to turn a profit. DLCs are a way to earn yield on your coins too, without giving up custody of your funds. You can write covered call contract, uh, covered call option contracts and say, you know, I'm willing to sell you my Bitcoin if Bitcoin's over $200,000. But if it's not, if it doesn't reach that um, strike price of $200,000 that I just made up here on the fly, uh, I get a premium, I get a yield on my coins. So I can now start making my Bitcoin be a productive asset without, um, you know, putting it into some shady exchange, uh, God knows where that, uh, you know, maybe you won't get your coins back out at the end of the day. And, and I think there's two things I want to just really highlight here. One is, you know, the example that I gave, it's like, you know, Q and I could enter a bet, right? The simple, the simple, an, an extremely simple thing, or the example that Chris gave, it's like, if X happens, like did X happen? Yes or no. If yes, then, you know, Q gets the money. If no, P gets the money, right? That's an, that's just like a dead simple smart contract. The really, really fascinating thing here, as Chris was just speaking to, is that you can create these extremely, extremely nuanced payout curves. So you can have these, uh, you know, again, as, as an example, like we talked about, you know, um, KYC Jelly, PlebNet, right? And at the time when I, when I set up this Oracle and we were building out this contract, there were like, let's say like 20 or 30 of us in PlebNet. Now there's over like 5,000 or something insane. But at the time there were, you know, 20 or 30 of us. And we were starting, you know, we were we were building it out where it was like, if you, 
if you think that it's this person, but then it's actually this other person, then depending on the rank of the person that you thought it was going to be, you get some sliver of the amount that you were supposed to get. And we started like, I got like lost in the weeds of like, oh my God, like we have all these things. And if you're right here, but you're wrong here and the percentage that you're right and the percentage that you're wrong. And you can, you can write all this into a smart contract and have it be executed trustlessly, which is truly remarkable because, you know, futures contracts, options contracts, which we see in the traditional financial markets, they were originally designed, again, as Chris was saying, to allow um, people to hedge their bets, or that's that's one function of them. And, you know, if you're, if you, if futures contracts were originally implemented to allow producers of goods to basically be able to say, oh, shit, like, it cost me X amount in order to be able to produce this good. And if the market tanks in 12 months, I'm going to be utterly fucked because I'm not going to be able to recoup my expenses. And then there's other people who are like, I'm pretty sure it's going to be more than that. So you can basically lock in a future price that somebody is going to pay you today and then basically structure your business and plan your production schedules much more effectively. So futures contracts, options contracts, they were originally intended to really improve productivity by smoothing out volatility for producers and consumers of goods. And that's a really important function. And they're still used that way. They're also used, of course, for just these crazy leverage bets, but that's not their original intent. The, the thing that's important to acknowledge there is that when you start to be able to do that in a trustless fashion, right? Right now, if I want to go, if I'm producing wheat and I go and I want to, I want to sell a futures contract to some, to somebody who's going to, you know, require that wheat to produce kept, like fucking Wheaties or whatever. I have to do that through a third party exchange. I have to go to CME or whoever the fuck and say, hey, don't fuck with me, right? Like I'm giving you all this money. I'm, I'm, I'm making this commitment. It's a contract and you're going to, I'm trusting you not to fuck me later, but they totally could. And yeah, I mean, just, sorry, just to, you know, there's a really uh, good example of this in, uh, you know, that's happened in the last like month or two at the LME uh, nickel markets, uh, London metals exchange. They had to unwind, I think like eight hours worth of trades because uh, nickel volatility was uh, too high. And there was some Chinese billionaire that was going to lose his shirt. And I guess uh, rather than honoring the trades that he uh, actually happened on the market. They decided to, you know, uh, cozy up to this Chinese billionaire and, uh, you and know, fulfill his. And it, yes. So, I mean, yeah. that's like, that's a, you know, ongoing, that's a recent example of this. It's really sad to see, uh, you know, when exchanges kind of are uh, not, I guess, behaving with uh, integrity is probably the best way to put it. And uh, although we'd like to, you know, think that, that that's an infrequent uh, thing, and maybe it will be, but it does happen in the real world. It's not just the theoretical. And as, as things, as we continue to move forward and things get crazier and crazier, we're going to see that more and more and more. It's the, it is a manifestation of the kind of like too big to fail style of thinking. And that ultimately destabilizes markets. It it makes us, it creates a situation where if you were a nickel miner and you you correctly like uh, managed your risk using these contracts, you did everything right. You got utterly fucked during this trade simply because someone who had more influence and more money did a thing that they were that they are contractually not supposed to be able to do they just leaned on them enough put their nuts in a vice and were like get fucked you're you're unwinding these trades and they did and it ruined hundreds thousands of people that's what happens when you have to have a trusted intermediary and with dlcs the stuff the work that you're doing at shared bits you do not have to Yes, and, and that, that's the beauty of DLCs is just reducing the amount of trust in uh, the financial system. You got to put up the money up front 
whether it's uh, you know doing some crazy financial engineering in with numeric DLCs or just even sports betting DLCs, like, like going to the sports betting example, I, I find sports bettors, you know, come out of the woodwork and come talk to me about how DLCs are the greatest things for sports betting. And that's kind of the motivation for this piece in, in the sports betting world. There's trust issues as well. Like uh, I think at the end of the Bitcoin magazine op-ed, one of the guys that I was working with is like, you know, one of the biggest uh, value adds of DLCs is you now don't have to trust Bobby the bookie on the yes. street corner to yeah. go and like pay out uh, the bet that you properly won. You can go see the money on the Bitcoin blockchain and verify that Bobby the bookie actually has what he claims to have. And if the Oracle attests that the uh, you know Cincinnati Bengals or Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl, you know that money will be coming your way because you have all the cryptographic information locally in your wallet. Uh, you can see the funds on the Bitcoin blockchain, which audits, uh, you know, people actually having the money they claim to have. And uh, once the event expires, you get your money and you can go roll it over into the next bet you're doing. And you don't have to get into also like weird things of like violence that's been common in the sports betting world when people don't pay up as well. You you, you start reducing those kind of like uh, you know moral hazards or I, I don't even know if that's the correct term here, but the the ugly underbelly of the sports betting world, too. I just love the idea that removing these intermediaries, which is like one of the most amazing things about Bitcoin, is removing the the, the requirement for trust and removing these middlemen. And I think yeah. this article, this Bitcoin Magazine article that you wrote and came out today, does such a good job of explaining exactly why that's important, not even from a moral perspective, but I love the angle you took in this article of like, home slice, this is just economically better. Like you no longer have this situation where there's a there's an intermediary whose entire business model is designed around fucking over everybody who's participating in these trades. Like, what a novel concept. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's like I, I really learned a lot about the sports betting industry from this, uh, from you know, a couple of users that I've been working with, and they're uh, veterans of the sports betting industry, and you know, they don't necessarily understand understand the uh, low level technical development stuff that happens in Bitcoin. But, uh, you know, one thing I learned is like, you know, there is, again, a structural disadvantage built into every sportsbook platform. It's called the VIG. It's uh, a percentage that they modify the odds so that if you play the game over a long enough period of time, you're guaranteed to lose unless you have an edge. And there's also other gotchas in this. It's like, if you do have an edge, which just means you have maybe an informational advantage on uh, the sports book, uh, or maybe you've run a bunch of statistical analysis and figured out that, uh, you know, a certain quarterback always plays better on Sunday afternoons rather than Sunday mornings, uh, the sports books will actually kick you off their platform if you're a better, 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 better than they are. So it's like the, the game is like really rigged against you at the, the, the retail levels. And uh, DLCs kind of help this because now you can actually engage in this sports betting without this uh, statistical bias against you. And also you don't have this bias if you're smarter than the uh, book. Uh, you you can actually go and find counterparties to uh, you know bet against as well. So um, it's it's a fascinating industry, and I, I highly recommend everybody go read the the piece the op ed piece that I put out there on the Bitcoin Magazine site. Really articulate. It's like everybody knows the saying: the house always wins. You stay in the game long enough, you're gonna lose. Everybody just accepts that as a basic premise. And the beauty of of, of DLCs and what you're building is that that's no longer true. There, the house doesn't have to always win because there is no house. It's just two people taking opposite sides of a trade. And that's an incredible thing. 
Absolutely. Q, did you have a, a question there? I wanted to just sort of play devil's advocate and throw out an idea here that, you know, maybe the Oracle is being a dickhead or has the information wrong or whatever it is. Like what happens in that event? How do we prevent that? Like for your, your example, you provided us earlier of betting on the election. There's a subset of the country that genuinely believes the election results were incorrect. Like what happens if your Oracle is one of those people? Oh, go ahead. Pete. I was going to jump in really quick and say an even simpler version, right? This, this Oracle where I was the Oracle for a bet that I was participating in. I would never, and were only I one of me, right? That. Like that is a, Real fucked up incentive, right? We did this as a joke because it was just cool and, you know, I'll fucking nerd out on any new technology. But like I was very strongly incentivized to to declare that whoever I had made the bet on won the magic of who who had the most friendship in the KYC. Chris, explain to us how you might overcome that issue and why it is important that oracles are blinded. Uh, so first off, like, you know, DLCs are, I, I guess what I would say is trust minimized rather than trustless. Fundamentally, you are trusting the Oracle to do the correct thing. That is the new trust that's inter introduced into a system like discrete log contracts. And it's the same thing with DeFi on other blockchains. It's like, if they're getting the BTC USD price from somewhere, you know, maybe you're trusting Coinbase to provide the BTC USD price or whatever, whatever uh, third party it is, you are trusting them fundamentally to bring that information into a consumable format for the Bitcoin blockchain that then can go and settle uh, smart contracts later. Uh, we definitely recommend you not doing DLCs with people that are also the oracles, um, just because they do have that perverse incentive. And uh, that's something as the market matures, we look to have more kind of institutional Oracle providers, like where it's maybe the exchange themselves providing the BTC USD price, or maybe it's like the electoral college in the case of the election that uh, is doing the actual signing for who won the presidential election. Uh, also, though, the, the election example is like really good because if I remember right, like if we were to go to bed on election night, it clearly looked like Donald Trump was going to win the election. So like imagine the Oracle would have attested that night saying Donald Trump won. The DLCs built on the that Oracle could have been settled. And then over the next course of the month or month and a half, two months, uh, we come to find out, well, actually, Joe Biden won the election. Uh, it's really important uh, that oracles wait for, you know, the entire event to play out. Uh, in some cases, like, that is pretty straightforward. Like, maybe you want to know what the Bitcoin USD market price is at zero UTC or midnight uh, UTC on a specific day. Well, that's something that's pretty well-defined, and you can easily measure that and go and capture that price and you know sign, sign a message however with things that are a little less uh black and white or binary uh you do have to wait for these things to play out and an election is a good example of that because information can keep rolling in the ballots can keep rolling in and before you know it uh another outcome's happening than what seemed to have happened uh right away but it is important just to remember that you are trusting the oracle to do the right thing we have built in some risk mitigation tools into the protocol to eliminate this single point of failure. So instead of just having one Oracle, you could have three Oracles so that you now have to trust, uh, you know, two of the three Oracles to do something correctly. It still isn't solving that trust problem. There is fundamentally trust there, but we're starting to distribute the trust uh, across a set of people rather than just that one person. 
You also could worry, oh, maybe this, like these three oracles are really the same person and you should make sure maybe you mix in a group of uh, oracles that have a well-known identity, like maybe myself, and then maybe some pseudonymous oracles too, where you uh, don't know who they are and you just hope that, uh, uh, but I guess they should have some reputation built up to make sure that they have been doing the right thing over the long term. Decent chance that, you know, the pseudonymous oracle isn't exactly, you know, the same person as the identified oracle is too. But so I, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit here. Is there any other specific questions I can answer? I just want to jump in and, and uh, add a little bit more color to what you just said. In this example, <laughs> I know you guys are like, we're talking about real shit, P. Like, we don't care about this fucking Bloodnet shit. But like, that was the thing that I, that was my introduction to DLCs. So, you know, we talked about this, this problem came up. And again, nobody actually put up real, like any significant amount of money. We were just exploring it. But the solution was, obviously, I should have not, I should not have been the Oracle. Instead, what we could have done is created, we could have taken all 30 of those nodes and said, hey, every one of these 30 nodes is or every one of these 30 entities is in fact an oracle and then we could have constructed the contract so that it was like two-thirds of all of the oracles must agree on this outcome otherwise the funds are returned to all the original uh you know people and so there's all these things like that in the in the much more applicable and honestly much more interesting you know election outcome example it could be, you know, these major news networks, uh, half of which Democrat and half of them are Republican, have to agree on the outcome before the payout happens. So you can, again, the Oracle problem is real, as Chris said, it is not, there's no simple answer to it. But there's these, these what I would argue are very elegant smart contracts that you can construct where you have many, many oracles that have to agree or the sort of trade is reversed. And so you can create these you know, safer systems. Well, and and uh, just going back to Q's initial question is like, so one thing the Oracle can do is just outright lie. And we kind of covered that ground here where, uh, you know, maybe you use multiple Oracles rather than just having one. The second thing that the, an Oracle can do is just disappear. Like, you know, maybe they get hit by a bus in real life or I don't know, their internet's out for a long period of time or whatever. And in that case, we also have that covered by a refund clause. What that means is just if the Oracle hasn't said who won the election or who won the sporting event or what the Bitcoin USD price is after two weeks, uh, you just get your money back. So if I put in 50,000 sats and P put in 50,000 sats, we would each get refunded 50,000 sats uh, just back to our own wallets. Uh, one of us is likely to be unhappy because presumably one of us was the rightful winner of the bet. But you can't, um, you know, we can't, I guess, distribute the money correctly just because the Oracle didn't do his job. And the only thing we can do in that case to at least uh, make things right, quote unquote, or at least make things uh, uh, even is just give the initial money back. And uh, at least you're not out any money. And uh, that that's the other case you got to be concerned about. So let's bring this back to like more concrete um, things that we've been kind of, uh, I have dragged us into the weeds and the sort of like more technical aspects of this. Q, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this applies to sports betting. As a person who loves to play the odds, what are your thoughts here? It feeds into, I think, the idea of, and I want to make sure I'm citing this section of your article correctly, the betting size segment that kind of goes off of the VIGs. Um, and I'm going to, again, do my best to explain this out to audience who don't gamble as much as I gamble. But like, whenever a team or a, an event is announced and the participants of the event are announced, usually Vegas will come out with like a line. For example, what is it? Tonight's basketball game is the Celtics 
and the uh, Miami Heat. One of the team is favored. Whatever team is favored has like a negative whatever signaling that they need to win by this many points. But as the bets come in, that line can move. And if all of a sudden too many bets are coming in for the other team, you all of a sudden see the line move in a certain direction. When you start to have bets that are too big, in the same way that like, hey, if a whale starts dumping their Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin dumps, if someone places such a huge bet on the other side based on what Vegas's odds are, well, the line will move accordingly. One thing that I'm curious about, Chris, is like, how do you guys protect yourselves as the house in this scenario where, hey, what if what if your line is off? Or what if, hey, on Monday, it sounds like Tom Brady is going to play on Sunday, but come Friday, hey, Tom Brady just got in a car accident. He's not playing. Well, I'm not going to bet on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers anymore. And that, that bet is a little off now. So I'm curious, how does that work in this environment? I guess uh, backing up here, uh, you know, we're not acting as a sports book. We're just enabling people that do want to be sports books to you know, run their own book, essentially. And also, I mean, maybe people that aren't even sports, that maybe even users that don't want to be sports books can then just match up against each other in a peer to peer fashion if they have opposing views to, uh, you know, wh wh which way a game's going to go, or they find that the line being offered by somebody is a very attractive one due to, you know, whatever information that they, they happen to know. Like from me talking with uh, sports uh, bettors, the most attractive thing about these DLCs is like, first off, if you do have an informational advantage, you don't have that informational advantage put into the existing sports bookmakers, like Pinnacle, for instance, is one of the largest uh, institutional kind of sports book market makers and how they make money. They don't, they don't necessarily make money the same way a DraftKings does. What, what a DraftKings does is like they give you terrible odds. Uh, their game is to tr attract as much retail bet flow as possible. And they do this by plastering advertisements all over your, your sporting events and hoping you download the app and deposit you know, whatever money. They run all sorts of crazy promotional schemes to try and make sure you keep betting. DraftKings doesn't care about they, they, they don't want sports, smart sports bettors. They want dumb sports bettors. And then that's how they make their money is by giving them awful lines. If you are a smart sports better, you'll get kicked off of DraftKings eventually because DraftKings starts losing money against you. And, you know, number one rule in sports betting is you, uh, you, you bake in these things called the VIG. You should be winning. And if someone is still winning against you, despite the statistical bias against them, well, they must know something. And DraftKings is like, I don't want to deal with them. Like, get off my platform. I'm not, my job isn't to be smarter than uh, you and uh, go somewhere else to, you know, field your bets. It happens, you know, from the sports bettors that I've talked to is then you start like moving your way up the uh, uh, sports betting ladder. You go to more sophisticated sports betting outfits that uh, have, uh, instead, instead of their job being re attract as much retail flow as possible, their job is to set as competitive lines as possible. And so that larger whale sports bettors are more likely to come on their platform and gamble with them because they, uh, you know, they have better odds than, you know, a, a retail outfit like DraftKings. These large sports bettors also, instead of getting like strictly compensated in the form of uh, their VIG that they bake into these odds, they get compensated two ways. One of which is a much smaller VIG. But the second way is actually really interesting. And I didn't learn this until talking with sports bettors is they get compensated in the form of information. Like say if 
you have a very uh, great sports betting track record. Maybe you have a very sophisticated uh, statistical analysis operation behind you where you're doing all sorts of crazy math, uh, figuring out when uh, Tom Brady is going to perform well versus not well. Um, what these institutional sports betting outputs or market makers look to do is they look to get that information from you. They want to take your bets so that they can go and adjust their lines due to you know the information you're giving to them and make their whole operation more profitable while maybe losing a little bit of money on you yourself. Uh, these market makers do need to limit the amount of bets that they take from you because if you can uh, place like say $10 million down right away, uh, this outfit may get run over, but if they can just take it, you know, a nibble at a time and figure out when you're willing to stop, they can adjust their lines accordingly and then be, you know, more profitable across the entire operation. It's kind of like, a, you know, I think the analogy that I use in the article is like, it reminds me a lot of payment for order flow and TradFi where market makers like Citadel uh, get comp, they're actually paying retail brokerages like Robinhood for the information that they get from Robinhood's orders so that they can go be profitable elsewhere in the market. You know, I, I didn't realize that uh, sports betting is that sophisticated, but uh, you know, here, here I am like learning about this stuff and just kind of odd how quickly that uh, the sports betting market got so efficient as, you know, the, the trad five market. And I'm curious if you maybe see any, any, changes being made to the way these sports books are receiving information as well as sharing that information then with their user base based on something like a dcl or dlc um so i mean i think like the user for a dlc is somebody with uh, an edge and if you have an edge you want to keep an edge as long as possible so if anything sports books in my opinion if dlcs you know take off in this world sports books aren't going to know the difference they just won't be attracting that bet flow that comes to their platform currently because there's nowhere else to go. I mean, the only other option really is like the modern day equivalent of a DLC would be, you know, bringing a briefcase full of $100,000 bills or sorry, $100 bills somewhere and like putting it on the table while the event's going on. And then I guess the uh, person that uh, won the bet can then take the suitcase and you got to hope you don't get robbed or something like that. So um, from a sports book perspective, they, would lose volume in a DLC world just because uh, the people that do have the uh, edges don't want to be going and revealing those edges. They don't want to be moving the lines. They want to attract as much flow, deal flow or bet flow in the dark as possible so that they can, you know, profit from the research and the, the research they've done to compute their edges and not reveal it to the rest of the world. What is up, my Bitcoin plebs? Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. If you've been in the Bitcoin space for longer than a week, then you probably already know BitMEX as the OG crypto derivatives exchange and one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade. But what you might not know is that BitMEX is launching a brand new spot exchange on the 17th of May to easily buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. To celebrate, they're giving away $1 million in crypto to spot traders over the next few months, and they want you to be a part of it. The Bitcoin Magazine crew had the privilege of meeting their team a few months back, and they think that this is the start of something special for BitMEX and their users. Sign up at BitMEX.com today to catch a slice of the $1 million in crypto giveaway, and stay tuned to our podcast for future product offerings from their team. Again, don't miss out on the giveaway. Free sats are the best sats, so sign up today at BitMEX.com. Sorry, guys, it looks like YouTube hates us again, but not 
just kidding. Chris had a power outage. It looks like we got to get a new producer now. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, something in my throat. Anywho, uh, yeah, we were talking about pot coin because, like, you know, I like to smoke pot and find like Q has been freed. I don't know if you guys know this, but I was on a ban of weed on this show, and the ban has been lifted. So you took it all the way to the top. Ready. I mean, to be honest, at this point, the only thing stopping me from literally ripping weed right now live on air is YouTube and my parents, because again, I live with my parents at 29 years old. They, they don't like the smell, old. right? Dude, I, it's funny because it's gotten so bad to where like I now learn like I got to go check like the windows around because if I just go outside of my room and smoke a joint and like my the window in my brother's room is open, the window in my mom's room is open, like the whole house will reek. And then my parents are like, dude, come on. And I'll just be sitting there like, uh, but I didn't smoke, I swear. Anyways, back to the actual conversation at hand. Um, one thing that I've been trying to corner someone in, into having a conversation with me and Chris, unfortunately that has now fallen onto your lap is micro betting on the lightning network. The concept itself is, is rooted from a lot of the sports books out in Europe, live in game bets, makeup and micro bets in general, make up over 60% of the bets that are made in the European markets. I've seen a lot of reports that the U S markets are looking at ways to incorporate this, but it's just not ready to be rolled out at scale. I'd love to just talk to you about what you've seen and the stuff that you guys are working on. I know you guys, you mentioned that you guys are not yet there, but are working towards it. Would love just like your thoughts on betting on the Lightning Network. Well, so uh, there, there's like a couple like uh, aspects to this, right? So, you know, on the like bet setup side, yeah, we definitely want to get to the Lightning Network. Uh, we are believers at bits that on-chain fees are going to rise over the long term on the Bitcoin base chain and eventually uh, DLC, small DLCs aren't going to be possible on the Bitcoin blockchain. I think DLCs will always be possible for like whales, like a sailor, a bukele or whatever they want to do with um, hedging their financial risk. Or maybe you're Mr. Novian and two for the money and you're betting millions of dollars on these games, you know, you, you, there will always be a place for you on the Bitcoin blockchain for that. However, if you're betting smaller amounts of money, like say 10 bucks or five bucks or betting on this like very short-lived event, like that you were men mentioning, uh, we have designed DLCs to be compatible with the Lightning Network so that we can lift DLCs up to layer two. Um, once we have a couple upgrades to the Lightning Network that should be possible now with Taproot. So we are waiting on the Lightning developers to change uh, some technical details on the Lightning Network to achieve this. But that is definitely in our, you know, in our, at the forefront of our mind is lifting this stuff up to layer two. This gives us a better user experience for everybody since you don't got to deal with the, the Bitcoin blockchain, slowness, fee related issues. And uh, now you can just instantly set up a bet with somebody on the Lightning Network. Um, you know, other things to consider, of course, is like more on the operational side of uh, the, the sports book of like, you know, figuring out the risk management side of things, figuring out what events people want to bet on. Um, but there's nothing that's like fundamentally not possible here, uh, you know, from, from the Bitcoin perspective. And it's just a matter of figuring out the right kind of uh, market that can, uh, I guess, have enough liquidity to uh, make a profitable business off of that. It's super interesting to hear from you that you said 60% of the betting that's occurring in the European markets now is- and So to categorize this, it's any bets, I believe the number was less than $5. 
and it's both categorized as like those small bets that are just made before a game starts as well as an in-match game so like for example will arsenal score in the next five minutes or will Tottenham end up giving up another goal in the next 15 minutes you know like the usual things that always happen in the epl right chris yeah uh i'm not sure which chris you're referring to but i'll, I'll take I, it i was him. making fun of producer chris because tottenham is full of assholes and bitches and fuck i can't believe arsenal didn't make the uefa champions league <laughs> yeah uh so like the other great thing that is aligned here with these micro bets in the Lightning Network is uh, they can last for small periods of time. One of the limitations of DLCs on the Lightning Network is you need to tie up liquidity across the entire network for the duration of the bet. So maybe uh, me and P are betting, but I'm not directly connected to P. So I'm routing through UQ. That means like I need to set up the bet to you and then you go and set up the bet to P. And then uh, that that liquidity is locked up until the bet expires. Um, so if the bet is just five minutes and like you were talking about with the Arsenal goal in the next five minutes, that's great. That means that bet set, set can settle relatively fast. But now imagine we were doing this election bet on the Lightning Network and we set it up in, I don't know, July and the election is not till November. Well, that means that we've got to lock up your liquidity on the Lightning Network for um, what is that, four or five months. And that's a very long time where you could maybe be using that capital elsewhere for more productive um, productive things. So micro betting really does align nicely with layer two DLCs on the Lightning Network. And it can also has the potential to give this wonderful user experience and not uh, be kind of this walled garden that we see in traditional sports books. So it's a very exciting frontier to explore. We just need some changes to the Lightning Network as it is today to be able to get there. And I think those will probably happen in the next year or so um, is kind of the vibe that I'm getting from the Lightning developer folks. Love it. I'm about to lose so many stats when this happens for nothing more than trying to be a degenerate gambler. What can I say? Generational wealth right there. Uh, Chris, for our audience who didn't have a chance to, we will, we will be posting a link to the article that you wrote, but where can our audience stay up to date with some of the stuff that you and your team are cooking up? Twitter.com slash Sherdebits is one of the best ways to follow us. Uh, we are also on, we have a Telegram channel, uh, I guess t.me slash Sherdebits to join that channel. Uh, if you want to, you know, do a DLC, like I mentioned earlier in this call, and you have an umbrella node, that's the easiest way to do a DLC at the moment. Uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter, Chris underscore Stewart underscore five. Um, we will be rolling out the DLC wallet to all desktop uh, platforms the next like month or month and a half. And then when we look to get to mobile at the, after that, um, we are solidifying. So if you're a Bitcoin developer and happen to come across this, uh, di discrete log contracts are an open source protocol that anybody can participate in or go and read how the protocol works. It's very similar to how the Lightning Network's an open source process. We don't uh, you know, claim to have a monopoly on, on this protocol. And we've got developers from all across the world uh, working with us to uh, build this protocol so it can be as applicable to as wide of uh, use cases as we've talked about, some of which are on this call. So yeah, I think that's, that, that's pretty much what I've got for shilling. Be sure to give Chris a follow. Be sure to take a look at the article. Um, feel free to DM any of us to make a bet. And uh, shout out to the Rumbler who wants to bet on how hot my mom is. <laughs> you are a savage. Um, <laughs> that's all I got to say. Locking your tickets to Bitcoin 2023. 
and use promo code FOMO and get 10% off of everything in the Bitcoin Magazine store.